What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This is Jake Hofer. This week, we have a great episode all about USDA loans and how someone could use them to potentially scoop up some land. This was a topic that's been requested by a handful of folks here over the last, I would say, handful of months. And I actually ran into Caitlin's content on TikTok and thought it would be great if she could come on and share her experience or expertise. And I learned a lot in this episode, so I think you guys will really enjoy it. Real quick before we get into this episode, a couple quick things. We are still giving away a handful of rivals. All you have to do is leave a written review here on the podcast. If you've already left one in the past, just update it and you will be entered to win one of the rivals. We'll be announcing those winners later in February. And also, we'll be at the Harrisburg Show, the Great American Outdoor Show uh, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, in the Archery Hall. So be sure to stop by, check out all of what we have there at the booth. We'll be happy to talk to you guys, and uh, I'll be curious to hear how your guys' seasons went. So that is it for now. I hope you guys really enjoy this. And actually, one other thing, we launched the website, whitetail.land, and uh, that's just to get out right now. So I'm looking forward to building that uh, as a complete resource for folks looking to buy land get connected with other agents and just be an overall resource to help you guys become better land buyers, land sellers, and overall just more educated in this space because there's a lot to it. There's a lot of nuances and there's, um, you know, the whole point of this podcast was to simply provide value, provide information to help everyone become a little bit better. And um, I've learned a lot over the last 70 some episodes that we've done here with the land podcast. So I hope you guys go over there, check that out. And that is it for now. Hope you guys enjoy this. Here we go. All right, welcome, Caitlin. I'm I'm very excited for this. Uh, we're talking about something that I think is very intimidating for many people, including myself. We're talking about loans. We're talking about uh, USDA loans specifically. But before we get into all of that, uh, take a chance to introduce yourself. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Caitlin Neymar. Uh, Caitlin Neymar Burks. I just got married in Congrats. November, so I'm still uh, learning how to use the hyphening of my name. So, um, but yeah, I work at First State Community Bank. I'm located in Missouri. Uh, we have about 60 branches throughout Missouri. Um, I'm the head of the ag lending department. Um, I come from a family farm around Bowling Green, Missouri. We farm about 20,000 acres. So I have a little a little background on uh, agriculture and farming. I grew up there. I still, that's my, you know, 20, 30 year plan is to return to the farm uh, part-time and, and take over what my dad and uh, his cousin have, you know, built. Um, like I said, I just got married. Uh, my husband is a contractor. He does a lot in helping me a lot of my TikToks. He helps me with those. Um, he's very supportive in that nature. Um, but we have a, a nine-year-old son that we hope we'll get into the farming side of it soon. So <laughs> cool. That's exciting. So being a third generation farmer, are there any lessons that um, your uncle or your dad has taught you about financing outside of the scope of like wearing your banker hat, but anything that they're like any cardinal sins, any hard rules that you grew up around in terms of uh, financing land? Oh yeah. I mean, my dad taught me a lot on the financing side. He is the financing guru of the, of our family farm. Um, you know, he taught me a lot that, you know, farmers are people too, um, whether, you know, you're going to a bank, a seed dealer, anything like that, you have to treat everybody the same. Everybody has a story. Um, take the time to learn it because you never know what chapter of that story you're going to really fall into. Um, and just helping people. And that's why I've gotten to banking is to help people and help farmers. As you all know, farmers are kind of, you know, the redhead stepchild and some throughout the world. Um, so it's, I feel like, my drive is to keep helping those people. Um, and that's, like I said, that's what he's taught me from day one is 
help people wherever you can, even if you can't help them, you know, whether it's financing or, you know, getting them the money they think they need. You know, I'm not trying to tighten anybody down where you're eating ramen, you know, with the lights off every night. You know, I don't, I don't want that. I can't sleep at night. So, um, you know, it's helping people with anything, whether it's referring them, you know, telling them you need to fix X, Y, Z in your cash flow. So it can work, you know, two, three years from now, Mm -hmm. you know, just giving some sort of advice and leaving them with something, not just leading them out to dry. So. Yeah, that's, uh, you're probably, farming's hard. And I, I do I do not come from an extensive farming background or anything of that nature, but I know um, it's a challenging business and it's, uh, it's a pretty leveraged business for most people, I assume, meaning um, operating loans from top to bottom. And uh, I could see where that would be stressful throughout different cycle, different market cycles. I mean, I think I'm so focused, I'm a licensed uh, broker here in Illinois. And so I mainly focus on the land side of things, which is not as... Uh, volatile is maybe the actual commodities or right. all the inputs that go on to making a farm. And I could see where it'd be really challenging to predict cash flow or or preserve cash flow. Oh yeah. Yeah. And especially and you see it every day with what land prices are doing. I mean it's it went from, you know, five, six thousand dollar an acre, which you're in Illinois, so it's very different. But you know, over Missouri, our prime dirt was fifty-five to six thousand an acre. And now we're looking at 10, 12,000 an acre. I mean it's it's hard for farmers who are like you said highly leveraged to cash flow that because if land profited off itself every time, everybody would be farming. So yeah, that's, that, that's, that's soundbite right there. <laughs> Cause I think uh, it's just, it's just very unique. And that's a, there's some new YouTube channels too. I've always just been very curious of, I just like business. So I've always watched some of these YouTube channels and I love the ones that break down the expenses of a farm because when people do napkin math, they're like, well, it, it can't be that hard. But then you look at all the additional things that um, if you're not in it, you wouldn't even consider. And then it might be naive of me to think anyhow. But um, speaking of folks, you know, kind of getting started and looking at different options and different resources. Um, I actually came across, I don't spend much time on TikTok, but I came across your TikTok a couple of times and you were talking about USDA loans. And uh, I actually had a, a gentleman call me from Iowa. He's like, you need to get someone on there that's an expert on USDA loans. And I was like, and it was happened to, to work out here. So um, <laughs> tell us this a little bit about your background. Obviously you've been in lending here for a little bit, but um, mm-hmm. just so people get a little, little bit more acquainted with your expertise. Yeah. So um, I've been lending for about five years and it's been solely focused on ag lending and mostly FSA lending. Um, so FSA is usually where, you know, young beginning farmers can go to get a first time loan that's not, you know, in a bank where your rate's going to adjust every three to five years. You can't lock it in. Um, obviously, you can utilize farm credit in that aspect, but there's a lot of other things that come with that. You know, FSA lending, um, it's hard. It's a lot of work. And I think I've Everybody knows that everyone that's been through the FSA, a lot of farmers, they have to know um, and utilize FSA and other aspects of it for production records, um, you know, and CRP things and all of that. But FSA, young beginning farmers are able to finance their land up to 40 years, fixed for 40 years, you know, at least 50 percent of their loan um, can go out 40 years. And that that's a game changer. Um, I actually just helped my little brother and my sister-in-law buy their first farm. And if they couldn't have locked anything in for 40 years, it, it wasn't going to work. You know, they, they don't farm extensively. They don't have a lot of ground in there. They don't have anything to them. So they were the picture perfect people, you know, that first, second generation farmer that's just trying to get started. Could they have gotten, you know, in-house financing maybe, but it was going to be hard on them for the first five or six years, maybe even closer to 10 years uh, for them to be able to, you know, make money off their farm, not just farm to pay their payment every month or every year. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great program. Like I said, it's a lot of work, uh, but you can get it fixed for 40 years, a good chunk of it, or, you know, you can go to 20 years, 
the interest rates a lot less. I don't really have a lot of people that go 20 years just because it's 20 years and that's a hefty payment for 20 yeah. years. Yeah. My, my wife works at the FSA office. Um, and I kind of tease her cause it's to your point, it is very challenging. Like I'll ask her questions like, well, that's so-and-so's job, but like, well, don't, don't you guys like overhear conversations? Why can't you answer this? And, uh, it's just, it, I could see where it's very intimidating for most people. I think there's a stigma, um, of buying something with a, a government, a government like USDA loan. I understand that there's probably, it, it, we'll, we'll get to that later, but <clears throat> I think some people probably maybe have some misconceptions about that. Yeah. What maybe meaning because you get a USDA loan that you can only, the government can tell you what to do with your ground. Is that something? I mean, it's just like a bank. If you were to come to me and you know, you're financing 20 acres with me, I, I can't have you going out there putting like, you know, a liquid nitrogen plant on the collateral because then that ruins environmental. If anything were to go belly up, then I, me as a bank, when I say I, I'm talking about as a bank, you won't be able to do anything with that, you know, to get that money back to pay your loan back down to me. You know, it's not, it's ruining a lot of different things. So the FSA can't tell you, you can't do X, Y, Z on your ground. They can just say, if you're going to build a house, I need you to come tell me, I need that open line of communication that you want to build a house and you want to survey off five or six acres. They're not going to tell you, no, there's just steps to get there. Which is, which is fair, regardless of any lender, if, even right. if it's not a USDA loan, they're going to tell you the same thing. Right. And I think that's, that's where the misconception is, is that, you know, FSA and USDA did have a bad rep, you know, in the eighties. And I think that's what a lot of people hear about because they didn't really help as many farmers as what they should have, you know, in the eighties, when, you know, it was the farming crisis and everybody was going belly up, there just wasn't options. There wasn't help there. So I think that is still um, kind of boiling over into this generation because that's all we heard about from, you know, my dad told me and, you know, my great uncles had told me that. Um, again, they can't tell you what to do. They can just recommend, I need you to go through step ABC. So it's not as easy as well, I have ground. It's my ground. I can put a house on it. I can put a shed. I can do this. There just has to be that open communication. Once when there's open communication, just like everything, it makes life easier. So sure. I think those are all fair things. So the longest short of it is if you plan on like for someone that's wanting to buy maybe a mixed use parcel, if you plan on just leaving as a mixed use parcel, you can do what you want on it. It's kind of what, right. what I'm gathering. Yeah. They're not trying to tell you, you can't plant X, Y, Z on it every year, you know, however you want to take care of your ground. They're not telling you that, but if you're going to move earth, they want to know, you know, they mm -hmm. just want to know. Cause that's their piece of collateral. Just like I would want to know if I finance some, you know, a mixed use parcel that, you're going to build a shop on it because now you have to get insurance on that. I have to know you have insurance because I don't want to come out one day and, or you give me a phone call and say my house or my shed or something is burned down or a tornado came through. Then if it tore anything else up, I have to know that too. Cause that while it is your ground, it's my collateral, mine mm -hmm. being the bank or the FSA's collateral. Mm -hmm. So let's walk through, let's just walk through a fictitious scenario of someone listening. That's probably else's they're probably in. So let's say, I want to buy my first piece of ground. I'm not necessarily a farmer, um, but I'm wanting to buy a first my first piece of ground. I'm attracted to the 40-year fixed rate mortgage. I think that's very unique, um, mm -hmm. and also uh, the lower down payment. So let's just I'm just going to walk through this as a fake customer for a second. So I'm calling you. I'm saying I I have um, right now <clears throat> I only have a house payment and a car payment, and I make let's just for easy numbers our household income is a hundred thousand dollars a year, mm -hmm. and let's say our total debts with that would be thousand dollars a month. So I'm calling you and I'm asking, well, what can I afford? I have $20,000 saved up. 
Mm. What, what are some, and I know there's so many nuances to all of this, obviously, but what, what's the next question or next step on your end as I come to you? And these are kind of the scenario. My goal is to buy a first, my first piece of ground. I may cash rent it. I may do a little bit of hobby farm. I may grow produce. I may raise chickens. I don't know. I'm just looking at some different options. Right. Um, so my first thing would be if you had any schedule of income, obviously if you're not, um, if you're not considered a producer, that's FSA is typically just geared towards um, farmers or, you know, you're looking in to get into farming and you have that experience. You know, if you grew up on a family farm, you know, like my brother, he doesn't farm on his own. He will now because we have that ground for him, but he's had, you know, extensive, you know, he's worked on the farm for, you know, he's 25, you know, he's worked on it basically his entire life, but has that knowledge and experience and the people behind him to back it. Um, in that sense, you know, FSA is there for, for production ground. You know, if you're going to be a farmer, um, you know, row crop farmer, cattle farmer, goat, sheep, you know, whatever you're wanting to do, that's where they kind of come in. They, they're able to make that work and make that cash flow. If it's just a cash rent, that's, that's kind of different. You know, you have to be listed as the producer um, on that piece of property in order to qualify for that. So you can't technically cash rent anything out. That can't be your plan. I mean, if you're going to be listed as a producer and you're, you know, so could, um, could, equipment, what if, um, what if you did um, like a custom harvest or something like that? Maybe you, it's you, still, you, okay. It's, it's very gray. Um, I don't want to say yes, they can do it. No, they can't. Um, but it has to be you listed as the producer on that property in order for you to qualify for the FSA. They have obviously FSA grants, um, payments and things like that, which that's a whole other realm of FSA and USDA. But typically FSA will only finance um, production ground as long as you have filed Schedule F, you have that um, that farming and knowledge and background or experience. Um, that's really the only people that can qualify for FSA. Obviously, okay. hobby. I don't want to say hobby farmers. I almost feel like that's an insult because sometimes <laughs> that's what it takes to get started. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's not a hobby, but it is, but it's not. Um, but you know, you're, you're wanting to get started, you know, FSA, they say they'll really finance up to anything, you know, any amount of acres, but some offices are a little bit different. They don't like to take up, you know, at least this amount, whether dollar or acre wise, um, but it's every office is a little different and that's, it's a government program, but every office is different. And that's, that's why it's hard for me to say, you know, this is what I know because I've worked with Missouri, but Illinois may be a different, Iowa sure. may be a little bit different. And that, that's what makes it hard to answer a lot of the questions that people give me, or, you know, they've been told different information. They might they be, could right. be accurate. Yeah. Right. They could misunderstood be accurate yeah. 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 Okay. So what if, um, Obviously, what if I bought a parcel that was, or I wanted to buy a parcel that did not have tillable, but I had some potential for running some cattle. And let's say it's, um, I don't know, 80 acres and you could, you could pasture 20 acres. Is that something that you think you'd get a loan on? Oh yeah. Yeah. As long as you're using it for some type of production, you know, cattle being production or any livestock, obviously hundred percent. Yes. FSA would obviously if you cash flowed and the ground could cash flow and everything made sense, FSA would definitely you so do you need a business plan or do you have to show because you're you're mentioning showing cash flow? Is that something that's a requirement of this? Like, okay, this is the game plan. We're gonna have 20 head of cattle. We think we can make this, and then is right. Yeah. Right. No, I mean FSA, just like with me at a bank, you know, if you come to me and say, I want to run a hundred head cattle operation, I need to know what your plan is. You know, when you know if it's backgrounding, cow calf, you know, if you're feeding them out, what you know, I need to know what you're doing how many plan to sell, what, you know, if you've marketed them saying, I'm going to sell a hundred of them in March, 
and I'm going to buy more in April, May, June, you know, we have to at least know kind of a timeline. Obviously things are going to change, you know, death happens, sickness happens, weather happens, you know, I, we get things happen, but we have to know kind of an idea of what path you're following. So we know, okay, if he gets a hundred head, he's going to sell 50 of them. We can keep that cycle going to help you with your payment structure, your cash flow structure. Um, and then just knowing, okay, this is what Jake's doing every year. You know, for the most part, things are going to change. You're going to grow. You're going to decrease and things like that. Is there minimum acreage requirements? There can be. <laughs> it's It really just depends. You know, if it's you own hundred acres right here and there's that 10 acres, that's really going to make or break. You know, you can set up your cattle operation or it just fits into your, um, your land base a little bit better. FSA would probably take it on, but if it's, Hey, I just found this 10 acres. Maybe it's not. very 50, 50, but again, I've had some offices that they finance 10, 20 acres. And I've had some offices that say, no, I don't want to take that. So sure. it's hard. It's hard for me to say yes or no on that. <laughs> Yeah. And so and this is something I probably should have clarified earlier is you don't work for the, the USDA or you're not, right. you work for a bank. So right. different right. banks, I assume can offer this type of product or these types of products. And some banks probably don't mess with it. Right. And so, yeah, some banks you have to go through the FSA to get um, basically become a certified lender that you are utilizing them. FSA knows you, you know, you're not just some person trying to get money from the FSA, you know, you're an actual banking institution. Um, and a lot of banks don't work with the FSA. They either don't want to, they're not ag oriented, or it's just, again, a lot of work to do. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's just want, I just wanted to clarify that. And maybe this is an easier way to explain it too, or another way to explain it is I think a lot of people know like an FHA loan of buying a house. Yeah. And so that's also a government backed loan. Mm -hmm. So some banks do FHA and some banks don't. So it's right. kind of the same situation here. Right. And so in which is another thing too. So I have the USDA site here pulled up. And so they have a difference between direct loans and guaranteed loans. Can mm -hmm. you explain what that means? So people get a frame of reference. Yeah. So the direct loans is um, a lot of, in my TikToks when I'm talking about the young beginning farmer loans, that's what those are. So the direct loan, the FSA is acting um, as a bank in that sense, you know, they're the ones loaning money. So you will have, um, a loan through the FSA, either for 40 years or 20 years. So you'll have that chunk about 50% or up to $600,000. Um, and then the bank, like my bank or any other banking institution can take that other 50%. And our we then split that 50% up in a 95% and a 5%. So the 95% is guaranteed by the government. So FSA is guaranteeing my 95% that's saved on my books. Um, meaning that it really means nothing for the borrower, just everything for the bank. And that's why a lot of banks use the FSA because FSA no, they're, is they're not going to get burned. Right. Yeah. No. So I know that if you go belly up, FSA is taking care of your, their loan they have with you and they're going to take care of my 95%. I'm only going to lose out on 5%. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of a risk um, mitigation for banks as long as they use it properly. And the guarantee is, you know, written and it's sound and it's good to go. Yeah, because I assume if if there was not that encouragement from the government, then no offense, why would banks want to take on quote unquote more risky lenders or borrowers? Right. right. I mean, because FSA, you know, in back in the day and they've gotten away from this thing, it was, you know, the lender of last resort is what FSA was considered. You know, if you're going through the FSA, you couldn't go anywhere else. And and typically I don't want to say, you know, the people I've taken through FSA, they can't get financing anywhere else, but that's what FSA is for. They're for, you know, young beginning farmers or people who just can't. Um, not can't cash flow, but 
times have been hard, you're getting started. That's what they're there for. They're there to help. They're not there to help the, you know, millionaires out there who could just buy in cash, but they want it fixed for 40 years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the fix for 40, because I, I mean, I, so I have a house in 40 and then I have a different farm and then I shop, I'm constantly talking to banks. And honestly, I feel somewhat embarrassed that I, I'm ignorant to a lot of this, but it's very interesting to me. What, is there a down payment requirement for some of these or is it once, I know it's case by case, but is there a, a rule of thumb? Um, so on the direct loan for there is a beginning or it's the down payment program or it's a 50, 45, five, it's all the same program. Um, but you bring in 5%, the borrower bring in 5% down, and then the FSA will take 50% of it. And then me as a bank will take the remaining 45. And so then I split my 45 up again for that 95% and then that 5%. So it's mine still split. So at the end of the day, you know, we're going through the direct loan, whether it's the beginning young farmer program, the no down payment, the down payment, the 50, 45, five, you're going to have three loans spread across your cash flow. But typically, you know, your spread is very minimal because on, you know, a 40 year loan, it's at, they just raise it to, I think, 3%. So you have a 3%, you know, say my side of it's 7% and then whatever our in-house loan is as well. So your spread is very minimal. So yeah, and so, it makes sense for people to do. And the you, you're mentioning the rate is 3%, the borrowing, the interest rate? Right. So on, on the FSA side, so okay. their 50% or up to 600,000 is 3% for 40 years. And then on the down payment program, the 50, 45, five is 1.5% for 20 years. Some cheap money. <laughs> That's some cheap money. <laughs> Um, And they don't plan to rate, you know, the communication that I have with the FSA, because I'm I'm very close with our state office and, you know, I respect them. I look up to them because they've helped me get here, Um, you know, in talking to them, the the 3% for 40 years will go up more just because that's longer term. The 1.5%, they don't see that moving very much. So that's going to stay there for a while. That's, yeah. I I mean, and that makes sense. I would say, man, can you just imagine... Um, you know, a 40 year fixed rate, you're borrowing $20, $23 at 4% or 3%. The rate of inflation, when you, if, obviously banks make money by lending money and I get that. And like, that's how that operates. But if, mm-hmm. if you could, if I could lock in $20, $23 for $20, $35 or $20, $55, you are crazy not to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, FSA. And, you know, it's a lot of the comments that I get on my TikTok. FSA can, what they call graduate you. It's not a bad thing. It's not like office is kicking you out. That's not what it is. It's just saying you you're well off now. You can we're not going to lend to you anymore. You know, we're not going to not that they're not going to help you because they will help you. But you can get traditional financing, which is 10 times easier to do. It's less of a headache. You know, everybody knows it's a headache. I appreciate FSA. I respect them, but it is what it is. <laughs> and so it's, it's a service and you have to jump through hoops. I mean, yeah. if it was easy, then everyone would do it. And, right. and then the program wouldn't be as effective. Right. And if you've really talked to anybody, you know, me and my brother, my brother is a very good example just because I can talk about him. I can't talk about my other customers, sure. but you know, he said, you know, it was a headache and it, you know, pardon my French, it was a pain in the ass, but mm-hmm. he did it. You know, they're, they're good to go for at least 20, 30 years, you know, not saying he could grow tomorrow and get all these acres and he could graduate out, but he still has that locked in. So it gave him the chance to get started. And that's what FSA is about, at least for me, what it's about. Let's say um, someone buys a parcel, they lock in a 40 year mortgage rate or, you know, a 40 year uh, term. And Mm -hmm. then they bought that farm an hour away from their house and they're wanting to get something closer. So they decide, okay, I'm going to sell this farm. And throughout that 10 years, it appreciated and 
let's say they bought it for 500,000. Now it's worth 750,000 and they put 5% down. Can they sell that and 1031 into a different farm? And then this, if at that point they can get traditional financing, financing, they could get traditional financing through you instead of doing a USDA loan product. Can they do that? They can, as long as whatever proceeds has to go to the FSA and be, you know, that loan has to be satisfied before they sure. can. Do anything just like else. any loan. Yeah. Just like any loan that has to be satisfied. FSA comes first and then them, but yeah, as long as, again, it's that open line of communication that you have to have saying, I'm going to sell it. Your loan is going to be paid off. I'm going to take, you know, the rest of my money Proceeds. into a 1031 and I'm putting it in this farm, you know, so they know what's going on. So they don't see, you know, see it on a Facebook page or an auction page and saying, well, where's my money coming to, you know? Yeah. Yep. Which that's, that's any loan. Obviously if, uh, if you have a car and you got to sell your car, <laughs> <laughs> the title is not going to get released or right. the deed, the deed right. for land is not going to get released until that loan's satisfied. Um, is there, yeah, that's interesting too. Cause I'm, is there any, I've heard and this is anecdotal cause I heard is that's how all good stories start. Um, is there any weird satisfaction you have to do to release the deed when you have a, cause is there like a, an additional lien? Cause you guys, I assume the bank would have a lien. And then is there like the USDA, did they put a lien on the farm too? And it yep, has to get satisfied. Right. Yep. So they'll have one just like, again, any other bank, we have one FSA has one. We do come before FSA and our lien. So at least having that communication with your banker saying, I'm going to sell this or I'm going to parcel it off or whatever it is. And telling at least me saying, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I can go to FSA and say, okay, I need this, this release or a partial release or whatever it is. Obviously, if you're going to do a partial release, sometimes FSA needs some monetary um, to go to it to know that you're still, you know, that's part of the loan that you're paying off and you have to pay that down in order to get that release, just as you would with me, you know, or with yeah. my bank or any yeah. bank. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's where you, you talk about good communication. The story is um, they got, they're getting ready to close and the seller did not communicate with the FSA office that they had a USDA loan on it. And then they right. had a, a, you know, there was, and this was during peak COVID and it was a situation where it delayed a closing drastically, right. but once again, it comes down to communication. So uh, hopefully someone listens to this and they will avoid that. Um, if that's anything I can get through to people that follow, just communicate. I mean, it's, it's a pain in the ass. It's a freaking headache, but having that communication makes things so much easier, you know, knowing that you're not dropping the ball, you know, the ball's in somebody else's court after you've given everything I've asked for, the FSA officers asked for, just being open to it because you're going to feel like they're asking for your, you know, every limb you have, your first, second, third born child, you know, <laughs> it's going to feel like that, but it's worth it. At least again, for me, and I have a, I feel like I have a good track record of customers that feel the same way after you get through it. You know, you can whine and complain about it. I well, get you- it. Or you can go, or you can go borrow a six or seven percent interest rate on a five-year yeah. adjustable uh, rate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you tell you me what. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would. I would look at it as, yes, it's additional work, but I'm compensating myself by getting a better loan, right. better terms. So. And you're I mean, setting yourself up for success. I feel like you know that you have that you have a little wiggle room when things are locked in for forty years at three percent or one point five percent for twenty years. That's a lot of wiggle room you give yourself in your operation. 
Yeah. And, and anyone that's playing the appreciation game too, let's say farmland's appreciating 6% a year and your interest rate is 6%. Well, unfortunately <laughs> that math doesn't work as well as someone that's buying or borrowing at 1.25 or three right. it is appreciating at six, seven or, or 17% uh, like it was last year. So right. that's a, that's just kind of a way to kind of stack the deck mm-hmm. in your hands too, and, and utilize right. that. Is there, is there debt to income requirements for these uh, loan products typically? Typically, um, I don't like to shoot out certain numbers because I know people say, well, if it's a one-to-one, I I have a one-to-one. You know, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Um, You know, your debt-to-income is one, your loan to The the cash flow of the parcel going into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, while my bank, we would want, you know, a certain percent to know that, okay, we're not comfortable taking you on because of this reason. FSA is more comfortable taking you on because of this reason. You know, it's, it's very different between each borrower, you know. Debt to income is a big ordeal, but it's your experience. It's, you know, it's the five C's of credit lending. You know, you have to have that character, your credit, you know, you have to know those things. You know, if you're, if there's no open communication, it's very hard for me to be open and honest with you when I'm not getting that in return. You know, you have to be that, that person you want to work with too. Um, So there's, debt to income is a big deal, but so is the other aspects of what, what are the five, can you name the five C's in lending? I don't want to put you on the spot. Now. <laughs> yeah, I know it's character I, and credit. <laughs> I'm going to Google it right now. Five C's of lending. Cause I've never character heard of that. Is the biggest one. <laughs> okay. So I got, I'm pulling up the chart here for everyone. Uh, when you it say is, it, I'll know it. <laughs> yeah. Character, capacity, yeah. capital conditions, and collateral. Yep. So yep. that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> Well, I get that. I'm sure you, <laughs> it's tough. Um, don't put me on the spot because I'll mess up. <laughs> um, so, okay. Well, I, I think there's really good things here. And I think uh, I, I've already learned quite a bit here. And I think um, like for someone to be a, a starting farmer, let's say they already own a parcel. Could they potentially still get some of the same financing? Oh yeah. No, I mean, and I've, I've worked with people that are, um, probably close to in their thirties, almost forties, um, that are, they're still going, you know, he owns quite a bit of acres, but he's just, he's positioned himself enough to where he's very leveraged. And it, and it shows that, you know, the art of farming is convincing uncle Sam, you didn't make any money, but convincing the bank you did, you know, that is, that's farming to a T and that's, you know, people are good at it. Some people are bad at it, but you know, farming is in every other game, you know, you're not going to show you make money every single year because, you would look too good for Uncle Sam, for FSA, for whoever, you know, that affects a lot more than just getting financing. And I think it's people can do it. You know, FSA, you have to have at least 10 years, you know, and to be considered a young beginning farmer, you could be 50 years old, but you only have 10 years of farming experience. You're still considered technically a young uh, farmer. Yeah. Yeah. You're not young anymore ish. I mean, my dad, if he listens to this, he's going to yell at me for calling 50 old, but (laughs) it's it's one of those things that you're beginning still. So, okay. That's helpful because I think uh, to your point, people are thinking young and someone might be listening to this that has dreamed of doing this or have always wanted to get started. Now, in my line of work, I always encourage people to get pre qualified or start talking to lenders before Mm -hmm. they start shopping for land. Is that something someone can do? Call call someone like yourself. Let's say they're in Missouri. They can call you and explain their situation. Is there like a pre-qualification process on both of them? Or is it more, I identified a piece. How do I make this work? So FSA cannot do pre-approvals. Um, so if for some reason, you know, you're going to 
you're going to purchase some ground and it has to close tomorrow. You know, we have a 30 day close. FSA doesn't work that fast, um, but you have to have a contract in order to go through FSA. So what many banks can do, and I've done it a lot after having that communication with FSA, you know, saying Jake wants to buy this hundred acres, but we have to close in 30 days. There's not enough time for us to take it through FSA. So what we do is called a bridge loan. So that's where I will finance it in in house in my bank. And I say, okay, Jake, here's your money. The, The ground is yours. It's purchased. It's closed. It's all fine. And then we'll go to the FSA and say, okay, Jake is purchasing the, he's already purchased it, but we're taking it back through you to get this, you know, whatever the rate is at the time or whatever term you want to go out. Um, you know, I don't feel comfortable having Jake on my books for whatever reason it may be, but it cash flows for him, you know, for your operation. And so then we take it through the FSA. So FSA doesn't do pre-qualifications, but a bank does to know that, yep, you can qualify for FSA, but we're going to take you in house for 30, 60 days, whatever it may be. So, mm-hmm. so in, in that scenario, would I still just have to put 5% down for you guys? And then the bridge loan would be like a side note. Um, no, you wouldn't have to. I mean, depending on what program you wanted to go through. And as long as we, because usually FSA, I say usually, um, if you have that communication with them, they can get things started, a cash flow started to know, okay, yep, you can qualify for 40 years or 20 years or, you know, whatever program you want to go through. They can say, yep, we can do it. Just let me know when you want to send this loan over, you know, when we want to start actually financing the loan. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to put the money down, but again, every office is different. So I can't say this is exactly how it's going to work because every county state is a little bit different. Okay. Here's another off the wall question. So a lot of uh, pasture rates are very similar to what hunting lease rates are. Is mm-hmm. hunting considered uh, some sort of like a hunting lease? Is that considered any sort of form of production in the world of FSA? I assume the answer is no, but I have to ask. Someone else is thinking about it. My husband is going to kill me, but yeah, no, it's <laughs> no hunting is not considered production. He'll argue that with me to the day he dies, but it's not, <laughs> it's not considered production. And we don't really like to tell the FS. I don't want to say that. Now we <laughs> don't want to tell them anything, but we just, if they're going to use it for hunting, you know, the timber parts of it, that's fine. But we just kind of leave that out of the aspect because it's not making you any money. It's not doing anything, but giving you a hobby to do basically. So, yeah. I wonder if that'll ever change because, um, there's a, there's a tool out there called uh, acres.co and it can show you the average county cash rent and also the average county for pasture rent. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at it this morning and I was like, it was $35 for this particular county. And I was like, you could easily lease the timber or pasture ground for arguably that same rate or even potentially more if it's in a good neighborhood. So I wonder right. if that ever changes. Um, but regardless, I, that someone else was thinking that. So I wanted to ask. Right. Um, <laughs> Now, a lot of the listeners here are, are more so, I come from more of a whitetail hunting background and that's where a lot of these listeners are. So right. I think someone's thinking, uh, so just to drive home, they have to be an operator on the farm, meaning they are farming it. Right. And if there happens to be timber on it, they can do what they foresee yeah. on it. Now, what right. about tim- timber harbors or something like that? Is there, because obviously that depreciates the parcel or you're extracting value from the farm. Is that something that has to be communicated with you guys? Like, Hey, I'm going to pull $30,000 of logs off this. Uh, typically the FSA will ask, you know, if it's quite a bit of timber, you know, you're using it for mostly pasture, but there's, you know, a large amount of timber. The FSA will typically ask if you plan to log it or do anything with it. Um, I don't have a lot of experience because a lot of, you know, Missouri ground, there is some timber, but not a lot, you know, it's not enough to get any money off of it. Um, but the FSA will ask you, you know, what are your plans for it? What type of trees, you know, what, who are you selling it to? Again, I don't have a lot of experience in that, so I can't really speak to what they would ask for, but you can do it. Um, 
from what I've heard, FSA is a little um, stingy on timber, you know, mm-hmm. what you're going to do with it, how you're going to do it. They want to know every aspect of it. So yes, you can do it. I don't really know exactly how that's going to work with your FSA loan, so mm-hmm. to speak. Sure. So once again, communicate, figure out, uh, figure out for your right. pocket of the country. Right. Now let's say, you know, speaking of different parts of the country, some where I'm at, a lot of farms are going to auction or mm-hmm. is it possible to buy one of these farms with an FSA loan at auction? Cause those are not contingent on financing They're Whereas, whereas like it's getting sold that day and you better have your, right. your stuff lined up. Have you worked with clients or can you speak of other in generality? Could you buy a farm at auction with the FSA loan? Oh yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to FSA can't uh, pre-qualify you or give you a pre-approval. It's all done in-house with your own bank. So it's the same thing as I would do a bridge loan through the FSA. You know, they're going to know that, you know, two, three weeks before Jake's going to go to auction, this is a certain amount. You know, we've probably as a bank or, you know, we've probably talked saying this is up to the amount that you can go before things get a little hairy. Sure. You know, you only get two, $300,000. And then we're going to cut you, not, we're going to cut you off, but that's, that's your cutoff point. That's where you need to stay. <laughs> right. Yeah. You need to stay below that for right now. Uh, but no FSA, again, that communication, you go to them and say, this is what we're going to do. This is the plan. They can start working things up, but they can't give you an approval or a pre-qualification until they have a contract in hand, you know, that they, they have to know what you're buying to already finance it. What's as without a bank, I can just say, yeah, go for it. You know, we can get your cash flow. We have everything done. We have a pre-approval. Let me know when you get a contract. So is there any cash flow worksheets or resources on the internet to figure out or project what you potentially could cash flow? Or is there, I mean, is there any rule? Because I'm just thinking right now with zero base knowledge of how would I even figure out <laughs> what I would potentially cash flow? Because well, I'm a young new farmer. I don't know. <laughs> right. I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of resources. You know, I have my own Excel spreadsheet that I use just for myself, for the bank, you know, my brother uses for his own kind of farming operation. Um, there's all kinds of resources out there. I just, there's nothing I could pinpoint you and say, yep, this is exactly what you need. But I think filling out, um, you know, a balance sheet or having that personal financial statement, again, there's templates, you can go on Excel and Excel has a balance sheet template on there already, but filling that out, knowing, you know, these are all your assets. This is what you own. Um, here are your liabilities, everything you owe and figuring out, you know, what your equity position is, because in that, that gives you a little bit of leverage to go to the bank saying, well, I don't, I own my house, but I haven't made payments on it. You know, I don't have any equity in my home or in my farm um, or anything like that, but filling out your cash flow, knowing that these are my, you know, my assets, my debts, this is what I own. This is what I owe to other people. You can figure out where you set, you know, what your debt to income is just like it says your debt to your income, you know, divide that out you have that ratio knowing if you're a 1.00, you're setting pretty good. If you're 0.98, you're still okay, but you need to go, you need to do a little bit better. You know, you need to either take on more, not take on more debt, but do something that's going to give you more income Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could see why people are intimidated by this because it, I mean, it is a (laughs) lot, but it, I, I'm a firm believer of, of taking action and figuring out one way or another. Cause if you don't, even if you don't even initiate these conversations, you'll never know. And right. three to three years later, you're still going to be just as informed as you are today. So, oh, yeah. um, well, thankfully people like you are sharing content or at least getting people a top of mind to maybe spark some of that due diligence on their own to, to do some research. So I think that's really cool that you're doing all of that. What else? I mean, what are some other common questions that you receive that we haven't addressed here today? Um, 
I mean, we've kind of, we've hit all the big points, you know, FSA can't tell you what to do. They can, but they can't. Um, They're not going to control every aspect of your life when you do go through them. They're not, you know, an evil stepmom or anything like that. They're going to help you. Um, You know, really just, I think the only point I want to drive home is having that communication, you know, never, never lying to your banker or the FSA officer. We're here to help you. You know, I've talked about it before. The generation before us looked at bankers as, you know, very evil people. You don't, you don't keep them very close. Uh, They're always compared to a skunk. You know, you keep a skunk far away, but that's not the generation that we're in. You know, you want to have that communication. You know, I want to be, I don't want, I want to be friends with everybody I work with. You know, I want to know their life stories so I can help in some sort of way. You know, there's plenty of nights, you know, my day ends at five, but I don't end my actual work day until I close my eyes at night. You know, it's constant phone calls from farmers letting me know how their their times have been, you know, if things are rough. I want to know when there's rough times too, not just on the good times, you know, mm-hmm. being very open and honest is going to go a long way, um, not just with a bank, but with FSA and FSA is there to help and they will, they will do their best to help you um, in every aspect. That's what they're there for. So farming, farming is hard. It's going to keep getting harder, you know, with this next generation being very plant-based and, you know, all those things, it's going to get harder. Um, So having everybody on your side really makes life easier. So Mm -hmm. what, you know, obviously commodities are really high corn and bean prices are very high right now. So I'm sure that really helps with the cash flow. And this, I mean, I'm sure your, your dad could provide a lot of this and I'm sure you learned a lot of this in the household, but how does someone ride the wave of, um, $8 corn going to three or $4 corn again? You really have to set yourself up. You have to use those good years to get ready for the bad one, because, you know, as everybody knows, ag is up and down one year, good one year, bad, you know, you're at least that's what I've been told, you know, and you, and you see that it may not be as bad, but you ride probably three to four year cycle of high commodities. It may not be $8 all the time, but it could be, you know, five or six. Um, but preparing your cushion for that blow that's going to come in the next two or three years, whatever that may be, you know, it's, it's in the talks that commodities are going to come back down, but inputs are going to stay where they're at. That's, that's going to hurt a lot of people. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're not in the black right now, you need to figure out how to get yourself in the black. So when that one red year hits, you can make up for it. You know, it's not going to be the, you know, the final nail in the coffin kind of thing. Yeah. It's no different than personal finances. Have an emergency fund. I mean, your furnace is going to break. Well, (laughs) just like your furnace is going to break, your tractor is going to break, you're, you know, you're going to lose cattle. I mean, farming, like I said, farming is hard. It's one of the hardest professions I think that's out there. And, you know, like I said, it's convincing Uncle Sam you didn't make money while convincing the bank you did and selling for everything you've worked on for months at a time, you know, for pennies on the dollar. Well, mm-hmm. you know, our grocery costs are still going up, but we're not making any more money. You know, we're still struggling to make anything. So just keeping that cushion, like you said, having that emergency fund, so to speak, and being able to make your way through that bad time. But again, it's having that open, honest relationship with your banker <clears throat> because we can help alleviate some stress, but we have to know there's stress there. So mm-hmm. what are any mistakes that you see younger folks getting started, maybe buying their first piece or second piece? What mistakes would you advise them to at least be aware of? Or or is it kind of the same things that you just discussed? It's along those same things, but it's not comparing yourself to Joe Blow across the street that may have the bigger equipment, you know, whether he's a third, fourth generation farmer, um, everyone's books are different. It's just, it's Staying in your lane, you know, knowing that you know how to farm, you know how to operate, you're going to do that until you can't do it anymore. 
I think it's, it's keeping up with who you are and what your operation is about and keep going. Cause I see that a lot, you know, with a lot of these younger generations, they see people that have all the big things, you know, they have the big combines and the shiny tractors and things like that. And there's some people that are just getting started, you know, on, on 4020, you know, just, you get started somewhere. I, uh, this, I always, my favorite thing about, uh, what I'm able to do is like talking with different landowners that had start, like were first generation and all of their stories are very similar. They had multiple jobs, um, to build that up. They started with really crappy equipment. They try to mm-hmm. like, you know, buy stuff cheap at cash. And most people are handy enough to hopefully fix them or whatever the right. case may be, but basically being resourceful. And, uh, it's just like any business getting started. It's the first few years are really hard and, right. um, you learn along the way. <laughs> In, right. in mistakes you won't make again. So it's like easy. It's, I think people, people just get an analysis or paralysis by analysis and uh, you just, you just learn along the way. And that's, okay. that's my personality type, whether it's good or bad, it's like, right. I'll, I'll figure it out. And sometimes you you figure out you're wrong and that's right. okay. <laughs> yep. And I think that's the other thing is learning from your mistakes because mistakes happen. Just make another one to cover up the last one, you know, just keep going um, and don't stop because I think that's, that is farming. You know, if, if my dad would have stopped 10 years ago when we had the biggest pitfall, we wouldn't, you know, I would definitely not be in this role that I was today because you have to keep going and know that good times are on the other side. You know, there's light at the end of the tunnel um, and having that community around you. I think the farming community is a very different type of community. You know, everybody, I work around all different kinds of farmers. Like I said, we're spread out all throughout Missouri from cotton farmers, potatoes to corn and soybeans that I'm used to every person is the same. You know, everybody cares about you just as much. They want to answer those questions because when I tell you, I saw a cotton farm for the first time a couple months ago, I asked, I I now get why people come to our operation and they ask those very basic questions, you know, because I was completely dumbfounded by how much I didn't know about cotton because I've never been around it, you know? And so they're always, farmers like to talk about themselves and they, they want to talk about their operation. So just ask, you know, no farmer is going to look at you like you're dumb. So yeah, I'm, not- I'm real good. I'm real good at playing dumb. So I always like to learn from <laughs> other people. Um, no, that's, that's really helpful. And I, would you say maybe a, another mistake is people maybe having too short, too short of memory or too, too, uh, I, I would just say that too short of memory. So like the good times, maybe they forget the bad times or like there could be a couple hard years and then, uh, the couple hard years will hopefully they get into that rut where well, hopefully there's going to be uh, an uptick as well. Would you say that's right. something? Oh yeah. No, I, I see that a lot. You know, I've seen it with my dad before, you know, you, you kind of forget, you know, we're at $8 corn. That's, that's huge, you know, but at one point we were at two or $3, you know, it, you tend to forget about those until they're, they're right in your face the next time, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's where it kind of hits you. But I think if you just remember where you came from, how you started, that bad times can happen and they, and they will, I mean, it's inevitable, um, but just being humble enough to realize that it can happen to you at some point. So mm-hmm. has there been, this could be just from anyone you've talked to in the past. It could be from your family, but is there any other key principles or thoughts that are kind of ingrained or some lessons that you've learned? Cause one of them I get is like, people talk about it's like timing, time in the market versus timing the market. Like people sometimes look at like, can you believe so-and-so paid this for that? And then we look back 10 years later, like, can you believe they bought it for that? That was, a, that was a steal. So, um, is there any, any thing you want to share in regard to that or in that same relation? I mean, I, I would agree with that hundred percent. I think that that hits home, you know, just like you said, remembering, remembering that everything's a little bit different depending on who you ask and who you talk to. Um, but I think at the same time, it all, it all 
kind of circles around. I think everything you do in farming um, is makes a full circle at some point, you know, whether it's purchasing ground for 10,000 acre, because 10 years from now, is that going to be cheap? Is that going to be a steal? You know, remembering that things can always get worse or, mm-hmm. or better, you know, sure. you have to be a little bit optimistic when you're in farming because that sucks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, so, um, my, I, I call it Exodus. And so even just on the supply chain and, and shipping and freight, it changes. And so oh, yeah. one time it's $20 to ship a camera. The next time it's $11 to ship a camera. That's mm-hmm. a huge variance. And so oh, it's yeah. just the way it goes and it's out of our control. And I think that's sometimes stuff, whether we want to admit it or not, there's a lot of things that are out of our control and you just, it's how you react to it versus what, what is actually happening. It's out right. of your control. Right. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, anything else here? I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate you taking the time to, yeah. um, I'm sure a lot, I learned a lot from this conversation. I'm sure <laughs> a lot of other folks, uh, learn some things and hopefully spark some, some ideas and, um, but yeah, f- feel free to share anything you, you like, uh, would like to. And, uh, if there's someone's in Missouri, how, how could they potentially find you to ask some more questions, potentially get a loan with you? Yeah. I, I mean, reaching out, my TikTok is a, is a big thing. It's under Moag Banker. Um, that is probably the number one spot to find me. Um, and the, I think the place I check the most, because it is really cool that I think 11,000 people actually care to know what, you know, I think or say, or what my opinion is or anything like that. Um, but again, I think I've said it 10 times, but I, I keep saying it. It's just have that open relationship with your banker, have those conversations, um, good, bad, hard, ugly, just have them. You know, we've all been there. I've, I've seen it all. I say that, but you know, I've only been in for five years, five or six years, but I know it. Um, you know, I sat at a, a supper table with a farmer for 28 years now, you know, it's, I get it. Um, so just having those conversations, pairing with a good bank that you're going to grow with, that's how farmers get started and keep getting started or keep going, I guess. So mm-hmm. No, I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the content you put out yeah. there and uh, certainly appreciate it. And um, I'm, I'm going to figure out who gives USDA loans around here. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, thank you, Jake. I appreciate your time. There you guys have. It. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Caitlin. I know I did. Be sure to head over to whitetail.land. You can check out a resource called Buying Land Like Warren Buffett that we put together. Some really good information in there that is kind of high level things to consider when you're looking to purchase a parcel. So once again, whitetail.land, check that out. That is it. Hope you guys have a fantastic week. Until next time, see you.